0: When uh, Jim and Pam, two of the main characters, are engaged on the office, they, want, um, they don't want gifts off a registry. They want cash money. I think we get that, right? So hearing about this, Ryan Howard, guy in the office who's always scheming things, always working an angle, he comes up to, to Pam and he says, I heard you guys are looking for cash for the wedding. Pam says, yeah, I mean, if it's all the same to you. So Ryan says, I've got a question for you. Would you rather have $100 today or $5,000 a year from now? Fam family goes, $100 today for sure. <laughs> Ryan continues, because if you just give me $50, you know, just for the brokerage free, fee, and I put in 100 of my own as the gift, and she just cuts them off. Yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll have the 100 $100. Instead of $5,000 a year from now, Pam gets quiet and leans in. How sure is this? Then they move to the talking head interview where she says, the guy has an algorithm that can predict the winner of every college basketball game. And it cuts back to her, and she's giving Ryan a check. And then it goes back to her interview, and she thinks for a second. She just says, don't tell Jim. It's funny to see that play out, especially with how ridiculous the scheme is, but we see the appeal of the proposition, don't we? We love a get-rich-quick scheme. We want to see it happen. If we can get something for nothing, great. Even though we know if it sounds too good to be true that it probably is, there's still this hesitation. What if it's not? How sure is this? What if that $5,000 is real? Some of us think we're too sly to get taken advantage of like this, but is that true? It's easy to spot when it's something like predicting the winner of college basketball games, unless it's a back to the future scenario. But what if it's something that we actually want and think we should have? What if it's really close to the truth? What if we don't even realize we're putting something on the line? What if it's happening slowly, bit by bit? We don't even realize it. But we're beginning to spend our very lives on it. That's what's happening to the Corinthians here. They have these false teachers who are coming in, and they're selling them a false message. And it's easy for us to fall prey to these same things when the message sounds so appealing, when it's something we'd like. And as Pam could have used Jim to point out the truth and shut it down. Sometimes we need someone like that to show us what's really going on. Sometimes we need that perspective, someone to point us back to the truth. As we come to our passage today, Paul is filling that role. He loves the Corinthians too much to see them led astray and taken advantage of. He's the voice of reason, warning the Corinthians of the con that they might not lose what they have, that they might not be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And it's a perspective that we need to be reminded of as well. So we're looking at 2 Corinthians 11, to 15 It's printed in your worship guide. I'm going to read this now. Hear God's word through Paul. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel, God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds." This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, that you show us the truth. We ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would help us by your spirit to understand what you are saying, that you would draw us nearer to Christ and help us to put away falsehoods. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing on through the book of 2 Corinthians. I think we've got couple more weeks left through the end of the month. And for the last chapter, Paul's been defending his ministry against these false teachers that are there who are attacking him. And last week, we saw how they've been comparing themselves to him and to one another. And how, from a world's perspective, they actually look better than Paul. But Paul said that comparison game doesn't matter. That it's only those the Lord commends who will be approved. So we need to look to the Lord, not at each other, boasting only in the Lord and what he has done. Our passage today begins with Paul asking the Corinthians to bear with him in a little foolishness. Today he's setting himself up to boast like a fool, like these others do. We talked last week, he knows the absurdity and the futility of it which is why he calls it foolishness. But he's going to play the game according to their terms for a minute, just to point out the error of what they're doing. Now, we won't actually see him acting like a fool until next week, when you get to hear him boasting about who he is and what he's done. Today, he just sets himself up for it and says why he's willing to act like a fool. He's willing to do it, act like a fool and do what he says we shouldn't do, Because he loves the Corinthians. Because he wants to protect them. He loves them too much to simply let them put up with these falsehoods that will lead them away from Jesus. And so the main point for us this morning is we can't put up with these falsehoods because they will lead us away from Jesus, who is the truth. And Paul points out three ways that the Corinthians are doing this and kind of three things that we need to be aware of as well. So first, putting up with a false message. Second, placing a false value on ministry. And third, paying attention to false ministers. I got you three points there and double alliterations, so you're welcome. (laughs) First, they're putting up with a false message. Look with me at verse 1. Paul asks that they bear with him. It's the same Greek word that will be translated as put up with at the end of verse 4. Because they're putting up with them already. So he tells them why he wants them to put up with him. I feel this divine jealousy for you because I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So Paul uses this picture of marriage and he's the Steve Martin, the father of the bride. Nothing, gotcha. In those days and in that culture, marriage was actually kind of this two-step process. You'd have the betrothal, which was legally binding, which is why like with Mary and Joseph, it says Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. It was actually legally binding for the betrothal. Then about a year later, you'd have the marriage. So it's this two-step process. And so Paul says the church is betrothed to Christ right now. As you've believed the gospel, as you've trusted in him, you're cleansed of your sins and made spotless. You're made his bride. And the day is coming when Christ will return, when all things will be made right and the wedding will take place, when we will know perfection and glory. But Paul's concerned that in the meantime, the Corinthians are flirting with other people. And if this continues, they'll cheat on Jesus. So he says in verse 3, I'm afraid that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says this is happening the way the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. He's referring back to Genesis 3, to what we call the fall, the first sin, where Eve is deceived by this serpent who asks these questions that have hints of truth but actually undermine it that question God's goodness, that put thoughts of stinginess into Eve's mind. And that ultimately leads to this thought that she never would have thought of on her own, that I could be like God. It's a subtle, sneaky message. We like to hear that too, don't we? (laughs) I could be like God. I could be my own God. I could be in control and in charge. This end around is what's happening with the Corinthians too. They're putting up with this false message. Another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. It's probably even clothed in the same language. They're still talking about Jesus, the spirit, the gospel, but the content has changed. And the Corinthians are listening to these con men what Paul sarcastically calls these super apostles who are selling a lie, who have no knowledge of the truth like Paul does. Which begs the question for us is, what message are we listening to? The one that says we can be like God or the one that says that we are in utter need of God's mercy and grace, a need that has been met in Jesus Christ. For some of you here, you've never really believed this message that Paul preaches. You've only ever listened to other versions. Things like, all I have to do is believe in Jesus, but I can live however I want. It doesn't mean anything for my life. I can be saved. It's my ticket to heaven. Or Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. Or Jesus only preached love and no justice. Or judgment that the good news isn't that we need to be saved from anything by someone outside of ourselves but that we're enough that we can do it all we need to do is be good people to do more good than bad to be kind to spread love in the world but are these messages that you believe enough when life slows down when the constant entertainment that so constantly bombards us goes away. When you're alone with your thoughts and the big questions of life creep in, the ones that we avoid so often, the ones that say, who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What happens when I die? And the implications for how we answer those questions. Are those messages enough? They weren't for me. I think if you're honest, they don't satisfy them for you either. But the Jesus of Paul's message, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is God in the flesh, who made a perfect world that has been marred by our sin and yet he loves it. Jesus who died on a cross and rose again to save it. A Jesus who ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father interceding for his people. A Jesus who is coming again and will set all things right. The one who will save you and show you who you are and who you were made to be and what you were made for if you'll only trust in him. That Jesus is enough. So if that's you this morning, I would just ask that you actually deal with Jesus. I get that we can be skeptical of religion on the whole, that the idea that there's a God beyond us that could reveal himself to us, that we could know that has any business telling us what to do. We reject that often. But since you can't prove the non-existence of something, and you can't, let yourself allow for the chance that it might be true and actually consider the Jesus of the Bible. That's what I'd ask this morning of you, that you actually deal with the Jesus of the Bible. Read through Mark or John or the other Gospels and see who he says he is and what he has come to to do. Read through it and I would love to sit down with you and talk about it with you. He's the one upon which everything hinges. If he is who he claims to be and who Paul claims him to be then he's worth living your whole life for. And if he's not then we're all wasting our time here this morning. That I am wasting my life. For others of us who believe in Jesus, who have trusted in him for our salvation, don't put up with messages that move him to the periphery. We can't still proclaim Jesus, but relegate him to a minor role and make Christianity about something else, even good things. About pursuing justice, about doing good deeds and living a moral life, about protecting the unborn, about caring for women about caring for the immigrant because in doing so we lose Jesus all of those things should happen in our lives and they should be things that we care about because Jesus cares about all of them but we can't exchange the implications of the gospel for the gospel only Jesus saves We can't put up with these false messages. They'll only draw us away from him. We must reject them and hold fast to the truth. We must hold fast to Jesus. We can't put up with false messages. We also can't place a false value on ministry. This is what Paul's talking about here in verses 7 to 11. He says that in preaching the gospel free of charge to the Corinthians, he's humbling himself so that they can be exalted. He accepted support from other churches and from other individuals who provided for him so that he wouldn't burden them in any way. And he did this because he loves them. This might be a weird thing for us to talk about. We don't really get it. We're like, he's not charging them. Cool. (laughs) You do you, Paul. But this would have been a bigger deal in their time and culture. Kent Hughes points out that In Paul's day, traveling speakers and professional philosophers were more important based on the fees that they charged. And if it was cheap, then the message wasn't that valuable. So it's maybe flip-flopped today in the way we think of keynote speakers, right? We know the name, and so they must have something life-changing to say. And so we're willing to pay for it. And we want to hear from the big names, don't we? I mean, that's how you get people to stuff. People are willing to pay for it. There were a bunch of former presidents make like millions of dollars just giving speeches after their presidents. But um, President Trump, before he was president, actually gave some of the most expensive speeches in 2005, 6, and 7 at the Learning Annexes Real Estate Wealth Expo. He made in 2005 a million dollars, in 2006 and 7, 1.5 million for each seminar that he led. And there are multiple seminars (laughs) at these things. Just raking it in. It makes no sense to me. Right? But the president of the company says he's worth every penny. Because he draws in the biggest crowds. His message must matter. Right? Since Paul didn't charge. They thought either a combination of. That his message wasn't important. Or he's not really an apostle. What does he have to say? Who is he? When you compare this with the fact that these super apostles are charging for these speeches, you get the picture. Paul's not in it for the money. Something that can't be said of these others. In the next chapter, he's going to say, I will not burden you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. He loves them, not what they can give him. It's an actual love. They were valuing his ministry falsely because they thought that a free ministry wasn't worth anything. But the fact that it's free actually communicates what it is. And it communicates the beauty of the gospel. That it's not a burden. That it frees us from burden. From having to perform. From having to never let anyone down. From having to be perfect. From having to be enough. For Mother's Day from having to be the perfect mom, from whatever pressure you're putting on yourself to justify your existence, it frees you from that. Because Jesus does all that we truly need on our behalf. If you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, it's when he comes to the cross, the Christian's burden falls and it tumbles away and it goes into the tomb never to be seen again. what Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart for my yoke is easy and my burden is light it frees us from the burden Paul preaches the gospel free of charge because it's a message of God's free grace Jesus didn't come to get something from us He came for us because he loves us. He says in Mark that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, just the descriptions Paul uses of why he doesn't charge anything in these verses echo Jesus' ministry. It's that they might be exalted. It's in order to serve them. It's to refrain from burdening them. It's because God knows that he loves them. What do you value in someone's ministry? The prestige, the reach. It's easy to place higher values on well-known people, isn't it? As if they're somehow worth more. Like Tim Keller, John Piper, Jen Wilkin, whomever. Would you rather go to a conference if they were speaking there than if you didn't know the people? If you're honest? Yeah, right? It's not to diminish their ministry. It's not a bad thing. But is their ministry more valuable than unknown pastors faithfully preaching and living out the gospel at small churches all over the world? Why? Or put pastors and vocational ministers aside. What about you? Faithfully, faithfully ministering at work, with your neighbors, in your family. Vocational ministry isn't more valuable because you get paid for it. It's not more valuable than what God calls each and every one of you to. So let's evaluate ministry not based on charisma, influence, attendance, book sales, YouTube views any of the metrics this world uses. Let's value it based on faithfulness to Jesus in the Bible in both word and deed. That's what changes people. That's what the world needs. We can't put up with false messages or place a false value on ministry. We also shouldn't pay attention to false ministers These guys are in it for themselves. They're in it for the money. So Paul says in verse 12 that he's going to keep doing what he's been doing in order to undermine their claim that they're working on the same terms. They're saying that they're preaching the same message as Paul, but they're rejecting Paul. But it's not the same message. So Paul wants to undermine what they're saying to point out that it's not true so the Corinthians will stop listening to them. What they're preaching might be disguised as the gospel, but it's not the gospel. And the allure of a false gospel is that it sounds good, though it leads to death. Now these speakers, they're enticing, they look good to the people, they would draw the bigger crowds, the message sounds good. Like if we were sitting there, we'd hear it and we'd say, yeah, I think they're right, sounds good. But when you really look at it, it's this house of cards, A lie, meant to deceive. If you watch TED Talks, maybe you've seen the one a few years ago, a comedian does one called um, How to Sound Smart in Your TED Talk. It's like five minutes long, it's really funny. It's about nothing and he tells you it's about nothing, explaining what he's doing as he's doing it, changes his pitch, uses his hands, takes off his glasses, points to the numbers on the screen, all while saying what he's doing and that it means nothing, right? But you still kind of feel like he's actually telling you something. (laughs) And he even says at one point, if you're watching this on YouTube with the sound off, you're probably thinking, ah, okay, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's literally talking about nothing. And while what he's doing is funny, there's truth to it. And he is actually making a point. If we say things the right way, people will know what we're talking about. And it'll seem like it matters. And it'll even seem true. I'm not saying being good at public speaking is a bad thing. Or that we shouldn't listen to people who are. What I am saying is that we shouldn't put up with false teachers no matter how well they communicate. That we have to pay attention to the content, not let rhetorical devices or unquestioned cultural values sway us and subtly draw us from the truth and from devotion to Christ. And Paul doesn't pull any punches on these guys, he pulls back the veil. In verse 13, these men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he keeps going even more in verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. They aren't servants of Christ. They're just pretending. Now, I also don't think this means that they're Satan worshipers, as we think of. But being outside of Christ, they are under the God of this world, Satan, who we've talked about previously. But they're trying to deceive. They're talking about Christ, but not believing in him. They're disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. They're conning you and selling you a false bill of goods. And it's gradual. And it looks good. So we don't see what they're up to. It says C.S. Lewis wrote in the screw tape letters he said, The safest road to hell is a gradual one the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Because you don't even realize it's happening. Just walking along. For us, there are false teachers that are doing this bait and switch with the gospel, who claim to be proclaiming it and are proclaiming a different message. Right? They use the language of Orthodox Christianity, but what they preach is not Christianity. It's easy to see this in a lot of the quote-unquote Christian books and podcasts that'll tack Bible verses onto things that our culture values. I think a good question to ask is just is whatever their Showing us, is it showing us our need for Jesus? And is it pushing us toward a life like his? One of humility, one of giving up of ourselves, a reliance upon God, one of love for God and neighbor? Or is it pushing us towards something closer to what our culture tells us we need or should have? Because one is true and one is a lie. We shouldn't pay attention to these false teachers or put up with their false message. But I think uh, a trickier danger and a bigger danger for us isn't as close to this line of false teachers saying they're proclaiming Christ when they're not as it is to how we uncritically or undiscerningly listen to teachers who don't even claim Christ. Who are teaching us without us even knowing it. We watch TV shows and movies, we listen to music and podcasts, we read books whose messages are completely contrary to the gospel and lives of righteousness, and we let them teach us and we let them shape our values without ever questioning it, without ever evaluating it. We absorb what they say and present and we become like them without even knowing it. Paul said last chapter that he takes every thought captive to obey Christ, but I'm afraid that we're so often disengaged and want to just be entertained and escape that we're not even cognizant of our own thoughts in it. As Paul said last chapter, we need to look at what is before our eyes to pay attention to what's going on and to whom we're listening And let us measure it against Jesus and reject all that would draw us away from him. Will we continue to put up with false messages, paying attention to false ministers, and placing a false value on true gospel ministry? Or will it be like the people who detect false currency, counterfeit currency? They study the real thing, not the fake stuff. They study the real thing, So when a fake bill pops up, they know it like that. It sticks out like a sore thumb. May we know the truth so well that when a falsehood presents itself, it's obvious. And we can reject it immediately. Let us reject falsehoods that would lead us away from Jesus. And look to him, the one who is the truth.